Just a brief challenge from God's Word today. Doesn't it get you nervous whenever a preacher says that? Matthew chapter 2 is where we're headed. Take a look at Matthew chapter 2 and notice here as part of the Christmas story, certainly one of the most tragic passages in all the Christmas story. Now we know, for instance, that Mary was told that a sword will enter your own soul also. And we know there are tragic parts of what we find in the Christmas story. Many years ago as I was preaching on this, I preached a message entitled The Nightmare Before Christmas. And one of the older ladies in the congregation said, Pastor, I've never, I've never heard it that way before. Well, I mean, Mary and Joseph on their way from Nazareth to Bethlehem were not singing good Christian men rejoice. They may have been singing one of the Psalms of Ascent that we've been studying in our Sunday school classes. But the fact is there was not organ music going on in the background. It was a very difficult time. In fact, they themselves were sort of looked at as having been unfaithful and that there were real questions about their reputation and their testimony. By the time you get to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 13, We know that they have been in Bethlehem for quite some time because the wise men visited them in a house that they occupied there. Notice, if you will, I'll just jump right into the middle of the story in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 13. And when they, speaking of the wise men, when they departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem in all the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. Shall we pray together? Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for the opportunity just to meditate upon your word. Give us wisdom, give us light. Grant that by your spirit you would move this messenger out of the way and we would hear the very word of God. We thank you and praise you for the joy of Christmas time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you can see there in your notes in the bulletin, when you look at this particular Christmas story and you think about what it was like for them to be alive at the time, you understand a great deal about Herod. Now, it was said of Herod that he was such a vile and vicious man that the Caesar of the time commented that it would be better to be Herod's pig than it would be to be Herod's son because Herod had murdered his favorite wife, Mariamne, murdered two of her sons, and this was shortly before he died. He was a violent and vicious man who considered himself to be the king of the Jews. 
And so when these wise men came from the east and they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? You can immediately see the strife. You can immediately see the difficulty that resulted. So what do you have in this passage? Well, you have, first of all, this terrible horror of the tragedy that occurred at Bethlehem. But I believe that if we look carefully, we can also find some hope. These wise men traveled to Jerusalem and then on to Bethlehem, and their arrival caused an uproar. It says that Herod was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. When you have an angry king who is capable of bringing the soldiers right out of the fortress Antonio, right there on the Temple Mount, and killing people, then everyone is careful. And Bethlehem is only five miles from Jerusalem. And so here they are in the midst of this, and what happens? Well, if you look at verses 16 through 18 again, you see that Herod had the children killed, two years of age and younger, that were there at Bethlehem. There's a special piece that was written to commemorate this. It is called the Coventry Carol. In fact, just after I finish speaking, Karin Labadorf is going to play that for us, and you'll see the words up on the screen. It was written as a special commemoration of this terrible tragedy, the mourning. You'll hear it in the the minor key that's in that piece of how they were grieving and mourning as those who were composers remembered what they would have gone through. This was a massacre. As you can see there in your notes, it was the horror, the tragedy at Bethlehem. When Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him because he considered himself to be king of the Jews. When did that kind of thing start? It started in the Garden of Eden. It started in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve believed Satan's lie, ye shall be as gods. You're perfectly capable of being your own good God, discerning good and evil as you see it. And by the time you get to the book of Judges, every man does that which is right in his own eyes. Here is Herod doing that which is right in his own eyes, maintaining his power, saying, I am the king. I I am the one who should be exalted here. And, of course, you have this massacre of the children only five miles away. Now, when you think about Christmas time, this is not the first story that comes to your mind. You say, wait, it was supposed to be about joy to the world and up on the housetop and the first Noel. And, but what's really helpful to recognize is that when you look into your scriptures, that they are not full of stained glass voices with hymns going on in the background. You get right down to the real tragedies of life. I mean, the real difficulty, the real really wrestling with evil and depravity. And even in the midst of that, there is hope. And I think you can see that hope in this passage. Look back, if you will, at Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1, and it speaks of Jesus Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Beit Lahim, Beit being house, Lahim bread, the house of bread. This was the place, you know, of Naomi and of Ruth. This was a beautiful place, a beautiful village. The Bethlehem experience conveys so much of the house of bread for hungry souls, those who have come to hear the gospel and have heard the very word of God. This was a place that Jesus was born. And remember what the name Jesus means. In fact, if you go back one chapter, Matthew chapter 1, and notice there in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, notice that it says that the angel told Joseph, 
You shall call his name Jesus, meaning Savior, comes from the Old Testament, Joshua, Savior. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, a fascinating study is to go through the genealogy that leads up to that verse and recognize that you have people like Rahab and Bathsheba in the midst of that. Ruth, who as a Moabitess, and it was said about the people of Moab, they would never enter into the Holy Land. They were not welcome in the temple. And yet the Lord did such an amazing work of grace that all of these are listed with the most terrible sins listed. And yet it says... He shall save his people from their sins. There, my friends, that's the real encouragement of Christmas time. Jesus, he shall save his people from their sins. If you are here today and you are in your sins, may I say, you want to become one of Jesus' people. You, you want to be one of his. You want to trust him as your Lord and Savior. You know how this works. World religions all are about trying to do things to get close to God. But that's not what the Bible's about. It's not about trying to do things to get close to God. It's about trusting the one, trusting the Lord who drew close close to you in the person of Jesus Christ. And so as you think today about what this story is really about, it's really about Jesus. You can see in Psalm 2 that the kings of the world rise up against the anointed one. They rise up, and what does it say? The one who sits in the heavens shall laugh them in derision, into derision. He will will laugh at them. He will mock at them. But nevertheless, here upon the earth, the Lord Jesus Christ was born, and now wicked and vicious, depraved and evil people, they could get their hands on him. And ultimately what they did was they placed him on the cross of Calvary to show just how wicked they really were. You remember from our recent studies in Revelation as we've been working our way through Revelation, I believe it was a message that Pastor Rod preached when it talks about the dragon there before the woman. And we see even here in this that early on Satan was trying to devour. Satan is behind all of this working through Herod. There is hope here because the hope of the God-given Savior, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. There's also hope here about the wise men. Now, there's all kinds of questions here about where did the wise men come from? It says in the scripture, they came from the east. You can see it there in your passage that they came from the east. Well, what does that mean exactly? Here is one of the more fascinating little historical parts of what is actually going on. If you were in Israel today, let's just sort of picture it just for a moment. Where the baptistry is this morning, that would be the Mediterranean. And you would be here in Israel. You would be on what is part of, considered to be, the Fertile Crescent. Now, some take the Fertile Crescent all the way down into Egypt. Some stop it at Gaza, right there on the coast. But nevertheless, what you have is going north all the way up in through Syria and on into Assyria and then over and curving around along the the Tigris and Euphrates River all the way over to Babylon, you have this fertile crescent. And as you know, this was a historic battlefield. 
You could go to Joppa. Joppa is the oldest documented port in the world, right there on the Mediterranean, and you would find that there is the Ramses Gate. Why? Because the pharaohs, Egyptians, were coming up trying to dominate this area. You go into your scriptures and you find about Josiah. Josiah decided to take on Pharaoh Necho, and they were all moving up toward Megiddo, and that's where Josiah was killed. Why? Because these roads, the way of the sea, as it refers to it in Isaiah chapter 9, the Via Maris, this was all part of the way that they could go because over to the east is primarily desert. So when it says here they came from the east, there's a couple of questions. How did they know? How did they know to watch for that star, that star of Jacob, as it's spoken of in Numbers chapter 24? How did they know? That is, how were they familiar with the Old Testament scriptures? Here is one of the more fascinating parts of history when you stop to think about it. Israel rebelled. They were taken captives by the Babylonians, and not only was Israel taken captive, so were those representatives of many other nations around them. Now picture this. They're all gathered there in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar in all his might, his hanging gardens at Babylon and his greatness, he is going to show the world just how great he really is. And yet what actually happens in the book of Daniel? The Lord of glory is on display. You can see the Lord working mightily and this is fascinating, in the language of Aramaic at the time, that was the international language that you see quoted even in our Gospels. It was all in Aramaic. Here's all these leaders from all these nations. They've been taken captive. They're there like Daniel and his three friends, and they're there in this place. And what is demonstrated? That God really is the true and living God. Nebuchadnezzar would come to know and understand that the Most High God rules in the kingdoms of men and he places over them whomever he will. They saw all that in Babylon, saw the glory of the Lord, saw the Old Testament scriptures. They were taught by people like Daniel. And then we believe at the time there were still one million Jews who were living still in Babylon carrying on and conveying the scriptures of the time so that several generations got a chance to hear the Old Testament scriptures. And now they all knew Aramaic being the international language and they were conveying the glory of God all around. When the scripture here says uh, that they were from, they were from the East, it raises a really interesting possibility. And I think I put it there in your notes Because it specifically tells us in Scripture, in Isaiah, that there were Midianites, those from Midian, who would bring gold and spices and kneel before the king. Well, now, wait a minute. Where is Midian in all of this? If this is Israel, if that's the Mediterranean there, you have the Fertile Crescent, where is Midian? Midian is off to the east and to the south. It's the area over to the southeast of the Dead Sea. That's where the Midianites were were from. At least one possibility. I'm I'm only speculating this morning. Please understand. I'm only trying to give you an idea. But that they themselves from Midian would have come over to this place. Again, how would they know? The way that the Lord works is even when others mean it for evil, God means it for good. 
where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that the Lord even worked through the rebellion of his people to show his great glory so that ultimately all the world could know. All the world could know about the coming of the Messiah. When Alexander the Great came in from the West there, the ultimate language there became, the international language became Greek. And so you hear, you hear you have Aramaic as an international language, Greek as an international language, people hearing about the scriptures, they're thinking about the coming of the Messiah. You have the Roman roads. All of these things work together to describe what Paul talked about in Galatians as in the fullness of time. The amazing thing about the passage we're looking at here is that there is great hope that these prophecies were being fulfilled. Isn't it interesting that even Herod wanted to know, what do those Old Testament scriptures say? And immediately, the chief priests and scribes, by the way, two very diverse groups, Sadducees and the Pharisees, who didn't agree very often, they could immediately quote Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, which we rejoice in today. Thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the nations, yet out of thee shall come forth he whose goings are from everlasting. They, they could quote it immediately. And even Herod trusted that enough to tell the wise men it's in Bethlehem. Even he understood that God is faithfully fulfilling his promises and his prophecies. Do you believe he's still fulfilling his prophecies today? Do you trust the Lord that just as surely as he brought those things about then, he is still bringing about his wonderful work today and Jesus is coming again? The Messiah will be coming as we see there in the scriptures. We're also interested here to look for hope in the way that God was still guiding his faithful people through clear revelation. It's interesting when you look at this passage, who are receiving these dreams? The wise men are receiving dreams. Joseph is receiving this dream. That tells you that God was still speaking to his people. Today we have the word of God. Peter tells us about the word of God, that the book you hold in your hand is a more sure word of prophecy. You can place more confidence in it, Peter is telling you, than if you had personally been there. That if you you had personally been there and heard these things with your own ears, you can place more confidence in the word of God. There is great hope that God is still speaking today. And don't you praise the Lord for these human examples. Do you get the idea that Joseph, when he received this dream, he waited around for a couple days and said, well, I'm not really sure. You get that idea? You get the idea from the text that the moment he woke up from the dream, he got up and he started working around and they had to get out of that region. It was about 75 miles He had to get at least 75 miles to get out of the region that Herod was in charge of. And that's exactly what they did. Even that very night, they obeyed the Lord. And so you have tremendous hope here in that God gave us these human examples so that we might see how God works through faithful and obedient people. Even today, that's exactly what he's doing. But more than anything else, the hope here is that God was providentially protecting his Messiah. He would bring about his perfect will. He would bring about the birth of the Messiah, the life of the Messiah. And what happened? 
Jesus Christ lived the righteous life that every one of us should have lived, and in our place, he died the sinner's death that every one of us should have died. Today, then, if you are grieving, we talked about this last week, if you are grieving over the recent passing of a loved one or some tragedy in your family or something that nobody else really knows about, understand that those who were alive at the time full well understand your pain. And Jesus Christ was in, was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. He was the one who shows us there was hope. And what does the scripture tell us? And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. I ask you again, have you become one of the people of Jesus? He shall save his people from their sins. The joy you hear being expressed in this auditorium this morning as we are singing and we are singing from our hearts is from joyous people who know this. He shall save his people from their sins. And no matter how dark the tragedy, no matter what is going on in your life, you can embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and find that he will indeed give you surpassing joy. In just a moment, Karin is going to play this piece for us. Let me read you these words that were written to convey the tragedy and the difficulty of what happened there in Bethlehem. Lule, lula, thou little tiny child. Bye-bye, lule, lule. Thou little tiny child. Bye-bye, lule, lule. Oh, sisters, too, how may we do for to preserve this day, this poor youngling for whom we sing, bye-bye, lule, lule. Herod the king in his raging charge he hath this day, his men of might in his own sight, all young children to slay, that woe is me, Poor child for thee, and ever mourn and may. For by thy parting, neither say nor sing. Bye-bye, Luli, Lule. Lord, help us even in the tragedies of life, even in the terrors of life, to place our trust in you. You give us hope in the middle of all these horrors, some of which are still going on today, I pray that you would help us to cry out to the Lord, trust him from our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.